Hello and welcome to Her Moment in History, the podcast about women in history. And literature, and the present day, and in general. Yep. Um, I'm Michelle. And I'm Grace, and welcome to the first episode. Yep. So this episode, uh, we were just kind of going to do a general, both of us have picked a woman, we don't know who the other person has. And then just kind of tell the other about this person. So we'll see how it goes. Right. Disclaimer before we begin. Uh, this is the first episode, so we're not 100% sure about the de- technology, I think, no. and the way this is going to work. <laughs> we're trying. Yeah. And also disclaimer that the research is like, I mean, mine's mainly off like Wikipedia, bio.com. Yeah, same. So... But yeah. I mean, if you have, like, edits for us, feel free to email. Oh, yeah. Call us out massively. Mm-hmm. Right. Are you going to go first? No, you are. I'm going to go first. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, the person I have for this episode... Mm-hmm. Ooh, I want to give you a clue. They were born in 1880. Ooh. Okay. Um, and they're known for campaign work and for being the first deaf-blind person oh. to get a degree. Oh, I have no idea. Okay, so this week, well, this week, this episode is Helen Keller. Oh. Have I mentioned her before? Yeah, I'm sure she's on one of my research things. I'll come back to it. Okay, fair enough, right. <laughs> so, Helen Keller was born uh, June 27th, 1880 in Alabama. Ooh. Uh, yeah, a little southern belt. Uh, she lived on a homestead called Ivy Green, because that's what they do. Though, Very American. Yeah, that her grandfather built. Ooh. Very American. <laughs> uh, she was one of five children, right? Mm. And uh, to add to the Southern Americanness, her dad was the captain of the Confederate Army. Oh. And her mother was the daughter of Charles W. Adams, a Confederate general. Oh yeah. Now Charles W. Adams had a uh, like a wiki link attached to it, so I assume he's pretty famous in mm-hmm. the like time in history. But I don't know who he was. Uh, when she was nineteen months old, she contracted an illness. The illness uh, wasn't named. I don't think they actually knew what it was because they didn't know then. But like now, they look back and they probably think it was like scarlet fever or meningitis, which usually is like a, a cause yeah. of deafness. Um, and because of it, she was left deaf and blind. It, uh, later in her autobiography, she said that she was left in a sea of dense fog. Dramatic. Very, yeah. Um, uh, by that point, she could kind of already communicate with the, their cook's like six-year-old daughter um, by like gestures and things like that. She didn't actually have a language because, yeah, she was 19 months old. Um, and by the time she was seven, she had uh, 60 home signs. So like, like gestures that she'd. Oh, so like sign language, but she made it. Oh. Yeah, like her family knew what she okay. was talking about. Okay. But it wasn't like an actual sign language. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she could tell people apart by their footsteps. Oh, I can sometimes do that if I know the people very well. Really? Can yeah. you tell mine apart? I can tell them apart. From... Yeah, I think. I'm awful at it. I genuinely don't know. Now I'm worried. <laughs> okay. In. Uh, 1886, so she was six years old, her parents took her to see uh, Alexander Graham Bell, 
uh, because uh, they'd been referred there, referred to him by like many people. So like they spoke to somebody who spoke to somebody who who eventually referred okay. to Alfred Bale, um, and he had had um, experience with another deafblind woman called Laura Bridgman. Uh, so Bell told them to then get in touch with the Perkins Institute for the Deaf, uh, where Laura had been educated, uh, where she was to be tutored by Anne Sullivan, who's... Sounds familiar. Yes. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. Um, uh, Anne Sullivan herself was also visually impaired, um, and they became like friends for the next like 49 years. That was really, really cute. So Sullivan came to uh, the Keller House on March 5th, so soon, but in 1887, um, uh, to which Helen wrote was her soul's birthday. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, and Sullivan taught her how to communicate uh, uh, with signs by spelling words, like finger spelling into her hand, um, and hoping that like the association with what she was finger spelling okay. would then be linked to like what she was putting into her hands. Ah, okay. Right, so she first did it with a doll that she'd bought Helen, mm-hmm. so she, like, gave her the doll and then, like, spelled D-O-L-L into her hand and, and ah. hoped that it would happen. And I think it was, uh, to say, yeah, Helen uh, originally struggled to kind of pick up the words mm-hmm. as it is yeah, expected. Yeah, you did <laughs> Yeah. Um, and at one point, uh, Anne was, uh, like, gave her a mug mm-hmm. and tried to fingerspell mug into her hands and um, Helen broke it because she was really, really angry. <laughs> so but then the big, you know, cin- cinematic scene came when um, she uh, they were using like a water, or one of those old water pumps oh. and um, <clears throat> Anne put Keller's hands into the water, fingerspell water into her hands and then Helen like, fingerspelled it back. It was oh. like this <laughs> because she'd got the link between water and the word water. And then uh, Kelly would move around and she'd have different things and ask what their, their names were. And then that day, she learnt 30 words. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then she used them to learn her learn how to read Braille. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, that's like how language came about for her. Mm. So <clears throat> she went to a few different schools. Oh, you know um, Braille? <coughs> Do you know how it came about? No. I think Napoleon demanded it to be made because he wanted a way to like lie in his bed with the lights off. <laughs> Something like I that, mean, I'm sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, and so he demanded it and like that was the start of Braille and then it sort of evolved into Braille for the use of bind. <coughs> That's so extra. I know. It's they, Napoleon. Yeah, valid point <laughs> to be fair. God. But to be fair, thankful that he did do it. Hmm. So is it named after the guy who invented it as well? So I'm is that surname Braille? No. Okay, fair enough. Um, so she went to a few different schools. Mm-hmm. First was the Perkins Institute for the Deaf, which was the one that Bell said to go to. That's still around now. Mm-hmm. Uh, then she went to the oh god, uh, Wright Humerson School for the Deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that one's around anymore. Because when I looked it up, the only piece of information about it was that Helen Keller had attended. That was it. There's literally nothing else. Uh, Then she went to the uh, Horace Mann School for the Death, which is also still around. And then she went to the Cambridge School for Young Ladies. And then Harvard in 1990 when she was 20. So... 1990? 
Nineteen. Eighteen. Nineteen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say she'd be 110. <laughs> yeah, which also, if my numbers are correct, does not make her 20. So I think <laughs> I typed that up wrong. So I think she was probably, that was probably 1910. Yeah. Yeah. No, 1900. 1900. It's 20. Because <laughs> 18. So I've got that wrong somehow. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there she met Mark Twain. Oh. That Mark Twain. <clears throat> um, who knew somebody who knew somebody who ended up paying for her education. Oh, wow. So, networking. It works. Uh, she graduated from there with a bachelor's degree. The first deaf-blind person to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, she then went to speech therapy um, to learn how to uh, speak, which... I don't understand how they would approach no. that. Um, and then she learned how to read lips. So she'd like touch the person's face whilst they were speaking and then would like oh, wow. read their lips with her hands, which is also kind of a... In things, this, this is a, you couldn't imagine someone communicating that, like, no. that way. No, I mean, what if you're eating? <laughs> just feeling that they're eating. Mm, what I'm getting is mumbling. mumbling. No, they're just eating. <laughs> Um, she also then started giving lectures uh, so she gave one in 1916 when she was 36 that make, well, yeah, mm-hmm. that works out uh, which was about hope and happiness uh, and was said to be truly inspiring um, she wrote about uh, the joy that life gave her Aww. I know um, and being thankful for the facilities and abilities that she had um, she also said that uh, people should just help one another and that work would be rewarding. Oh, I know. I feel like I've had a few lectures like that myself. Um, yeah. But not quite to that level. So. No. Uh, was also a p- massive political activist. Mm-hmm. So usually she's known for the fact that she was deafblind and that she mm-hmm. did like a lot of things, but also massively known for being such a massive activist despite the fact that she was deafblind so she was advocating for okay here's the list people with disabilities mm-hmm. uh suffragettes pacifism radical socialism birth control well, um and was an opponent to woodrow wilson ooh. a lot of things on the list yes uh she also took several trips to japan to work with japanese people and um, became very popular there uh, she, she gave loads of speeches about women's rights to vote and uh, spoke openly about her negative opinion on war. So, oh, I like her. Respect, I know. <laughs> uh, she was also friends with Alexander Graham Bell, uh-huh. Mark Twain, mm-hmm. and your favourite, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but because not every person in history is, you know, fully clean, she was also into eugenics. Oh, yeah, which is not great. So is Alexander Graham Bell, which is why I'm not a massive fan of him. Um, but mm, she said that uh, if a child had a mental impairment or physical deformities, that their lives would not be worthwhile. What? Yep. And that, <laughs> and that they would likely become criminals. And what was she the exception? Well, that's what I don't understand. <laughs> it's like... I'm guessing she doesn't see it as a mental disability then. Yeah. Just a physical... But, but it's, still. it's still a disability, and she's not a criminal. No. Unless that was her way oh. of telling people she's a criminal. Oh, conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so yeah that wasn't nice to learn but anyway uh, she wrote a total of 12 uh, books oh. and uh, published loads of arc- articles and she visited 35 countries impressive I know I've even visited them I've visited none well she a few. <laughs> a few but nowhere near that many uh, blah, blah. In uh, 1964, so she would have been 84, she received the uh, Presidential, no, I wrote it wrong, Medal of Freedom by Lyndon B. Johnson and was elected to the National Woman's Hall of Fame. She died in her sleep on June 1st, yeah, uh, in 1968, so she was just a few weeks shy of her 88th birthday. She was cremated and her ashes were put next to Anne Sullivan, so her teacher, mm-hmm. and Polly Thompson, who was another... So when, like, Anne got really ill um, mm-hmm. at some point, so they had to, like, hire somebody else to come and help as well, and that was Polly Thompson. And they were all, okay. like... The three of them were really friends and they had a house together. Um, and uh, so, yeah, their ashes were all put together in Washington, D.C. So the miracle worker, which might be... No, okay, uh was uh first it was a play and then it was made into a film and it's like whenever usually you mention Helen Keller people will, will like say oh that film in, in black and white and it's, oh, okay. it's called The Miracle Worker uh, but it's only about her as a child so it's like nothing about her later life uh, that won an Oscar in 1962 and has been remade, remade twice um, in Ooh. 1979 and two, year 2000 they then made another film for TV that was called The Miracle Continues, which showed her later life as well. But none of them, none of these films actually, like, credited her political activism, except from the 2000 version made wow. by Disney, which literally said it in the credits. <laughs> it's a star. It's a star, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a hospital in uh, Sheffield declared to her. Sheffield, oh. Alabama. I had to double-check that. <laughs> uh, and then there are many streets... Uh, Named after her as well. So there's one in uh, Switzerland, one in the US, one in Spain, one in Israel, one in Portugal, one in France. Uh, And there's also in her hometown on June 27th, which, if I remember correctly, is her birthday. Oh, which I'm going to find now. Yep, which is her birthday. They have Helen Keller Day. Aww. And that's Helen Keller. Ooh. Yeah, so okay. she does actually relate to my person Ooh. in a very, very tiny way, but still. I've got to guess the way. No, I'm not going to guess. That would be embarrassing. It would, if you guessed, I'd be. Would they impressed. live around the same place at some point? Um, I don't, um, they were just in. They just met at their house. It, okay. <laughs> okay, okay, got them. Um, so she was born as. Gladys Lewis Smith, but her stage name yeah, was yeah. Uh, Mary Pickford, and um, she was a American film actress. No, actually, Canadian-born American film actress and producer. Okay, like in Hollywood. Yes. Yeah. Um, she was born in Toronto, Canada. Um, she was like um she. Her father was an alcoholic and died when she was six. So her mother was obviously widowed. And so 
Right, she was born in 1892. I missed that. Okay. <laughs> born in 1892 in yes. Toronto. Mm-hmm. And then in 1899, mm-hmm. her mother started having borders in the house. Borders? Oh, Board- like people come and stay? Yeah. Yeah. Is that what borders? I think so. Hmm. Um, and one of who was someone called Mr. Murphy, who got um, Mary and her sister... Lottie, when they were still children at this age, um, to play in theatres as like, oh, okay. small roles. Fair enough. I stuff. thought that was going down a very dark route. I, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I was like, oh no. I really hope not. Um, and then by, this was 1899, so like a year later, mm-hmm. in, well, in the 1900s, mm-hmm. that decade, the whole family were in it. Oh wow. Um, so there's a mother and a brother as well. And they were touring the U.S., performing plays and stuff. In 1906, she was considering, like, she was trying to find a, a role on Broadway. Okay. And so she said if she doesn't find one by 1907, she'd give up. That's this, a bit dramatic. She was 14 at this time. but I mean, that's usually, like, 14-year-old. I Dramatic, isn't it really? <laughs> yeah, but she did find. Oh, cool. Like she, oh wait, her and her brother and her sister supported the singer Chauncey Olcott on Broadway. Okay, fair enough. And then she finally got her supporting role in 1907 mm-hmm. in a Broadway play called The Warrens of Virginia. The what? The The Warrens of Virginia. <laughs> um, and then her role in film came in 1909 where she was screen tested for a wd griffith film the guy who did birth of a nation oh oh yeah okay it was fine <laughs> oh, yeah. i can't imagine he was the nicest person to work for no no but they were friends so oh okay and he took a liking to her and so like the standard wage would be five dollars a day but she got ten dollars a day oh that's quite a liking isn't it that's it's a hundred this two no hundred percent wage increase double yeah because the the way it worked in like the early 1910s was actors weren't listed or credited for films well how did people know who were in them does the thing so it's like um they didn't, they just noticed her face a lot because she was in so many. She did like one a week or something like that. Okay. In 1909, she had like 51 films. So what, if you wanted to like watch her, something with her and you had to like sketch out her face <laughs> and then go, this person, please. <laughs> she, um, the, the way they advertised films with her in it were, they'd have sandwich boards that said, the girl with the golden curls or blondie locks or... Oh. The Biograph Girl, which is the company that yeah. produced it. Um, and, she, like, her plan was if she gets seen a lot, then people will know who she is. That makes sense, but I feel like it would have just been so much easier if they just used her name. I know. But they didn't do it with anyone. Like, Charlie Chaplin's very early films. He, oh, okay, fair enough. It was just the standard till they decided. Until someone realised that... Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. No, fair enough. Yeah. Um... And then the way it, it worked then was the actors would play leading roles and, like, side roles. Mm-hmm. 
um, and little bit parts throughout in like all the same films. So she was doing that. She she continued to work in films and theatres through like the 1910s and 20s. She was considered to be the most famous woman in the world at that point. Blimey. Um, what mind this? In the 20s and 30s? 10s. 10s and 20s. Yeah. Because um, her films, obviously they're silent so they're easier to... To like... Make it international yeah. and stuff. Um, the only person who came close to her amount of fame was Charlie Chaplin at the time. So he didn't even come close Well, like, to they were about the on the, the same level, I think. Oh, my gosh. She was really big. Yeah. But it's just quite sad that she's not as well-known. Yeah, well, how did, like... I'm guessing it's because Charlie Chaplin has the image of the tramp. Yes, I suppose if... Like, because her then stage name wasn't, like, as marketable, I assume. Yeah, well, mm, I don't know. But she played, she is credited as having defined the ingenuine, genuine archetype in cinema. Okay. Which. Can you explain a bit about what that um, is? Yeah. It's, the definition (laughs) is a stock character, which, um... It is generally a girl or young woman who is endearingly innocent and wholesome. And it's quite problematic, really. Oh. Um, they imply a lack of sophistication and cunning. Um, and is like, naive. They're often put in emotional, mental danger, virginal. And yeah, it's like they're due to lack of independence because the father or the husband or whatever... But it's that was the time. It's quite I don't know sad that like if if your like thing is oh I created this archetype of like acting yeah. and people go yeah but isn't that like an example of I don't know a bit of a negative stereotype. Yeah, it's like the girl next door kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. The kind of like the um, early kind of femme fatale. Yeah. Kind of yeah. She had very curly hair mm-hmm. as well, which was part of, she was, like, also her names were, like, America's Sweetheart and The Girl with the Curls. Okay. And there's some really great pictures of her with, with her hair, and there's one that I love with a, a kitten on her shoulder, and she has, like, sausage curls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In her hair as well, and it's really, there's loads of really great pictures of her. Um, but then... Um, shock horror, she cut it off and it made front page news oh, in How How short are we talking? Are we talking like... Bob. Oh, so it's not even like... I know. Like shaving it off, it's just... Yeah, it's a bob, but people were like... Because they just associated the, the character with... Oh, God. Uh, I, I assume she still had curly hair, even with a bob. Yeah, but... Um, it yeah, was for that's... a role, which I will get to. Oh, okay. Um, I thought she just like breakdown level, just chopped her hair off. Well, it was after her mother's death, so maybe. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. There was a silent film journalist who described her as the best known woman who has ever lived, the woman who is known to more people and loved by more people than any other woman that has been in all history. 
That was at the time, though. Yeah. But, I mean, because well, I mean, the whole idea... It's a big idea claim of, to say in all of history. But, like, at the time, the idea of celebrity wasn't as big of a thing. True, true. Especially film-related as well. Yeah. Because it... I mean, you know more about film than I do. Is this, like, early... This is when films were yeah. really kicking off. Um, and then in 1919, she, along with D.W. Griffith, Charlie Chaplin and Douglas Fairbanks, created United Artists, the production company. And through that, they, they could, she could produce and distribute her own films, oh. which obviously gave her a lot of freedom, which... Yeah other companies wouldn't because the way that it typically worked in Hollywood at the time was they would the studio would produce the film and then they'd also own the cinema that they'd show it at oh so it's like a whole chain they had the monopoly essentially so but the which became uh, illegal eventually yeah how do you kind of even like for their own sense of like you want to make the most money from having these films but if you're the only place where they show those films, people who don't live in the immediate area aren't yeah. going to know about it. So you massively mm. cut off I your audience. I guess they make it look like... Look yeah, I suppose it's like how wide. Broadway now works, isn't it, really? Yeah, probably. And so they didn't do that. They, <laughs> <laughs> they just did the distribution and mm-hmm. then they let independent film producers access its screens and stuff, which was good because the the way they did it um they sort of interfered with actual the film of it so like the how do I explain it um so like they'd do like a really bad picture mm-hmm. but then put it alongside as a picture as in film um mm-hmm. and then they do it alongside a good one mm-hmm. with a big star in it or something and then they get the the bad one shown as well so it's just they just sell them together kind of thing. Is that to try and, like, promote the bad one as well? I or guess. was it to, like, kind of make the... To, so that they juxtapose one another? So that the oh. good one seems better? I don't know. Maybe. Or was it just literally, like, two for one? Probably just two for one. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> they never do that anymore. It's quite sad. You sometimes have, like, shorts in front of yeah. films. That doesn't happen very often, though, anymore. No, I, I can so only think of, like, Disney, Disney yeah, stuff. doing it. I did, when I went to see Strangers on a Train, they showed a, a short in front of it, right. and it was, like, sort of related to it, same mm. kind of vibe, but that's the only time that I've seen, yeah. like, a proper short. And even that wasn't, like, mainstream cinema, because it's an old film. I so. guess I've never heard of it before, so... Strangers on a Train? I don't think so. Hitchcock? Oh, yeah. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it, though. Yeah, where they kill the other person for the other person. So they meet on a train, mm-hmm. and then they're like, oh, right, so you want to kill this person, I want to kill this person, we'll both kill the other person. Oh, so it's untraceable. Yes. Nice. Spoilers. Sorry. Yeah, no, don't need to watch <laughs> it now. Um, so the films that was made by the United Artists were, like, Little Lord Fulteroy. Pollyanna, Rosita, all these were very commercially successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and one um, called Sparrows, which sort of took a German expressionist style, mm-hmm. which I've seen, I liked it. <laughs> and, but she plays a child in it, 
how old is she at this point? But she's 34. 36 at this point. No, 34. Problematic. I know. Um, which, weird, but okay. Hmm. Um, then 1920, she, she and Douglas Fairbanks were having a secret relationship because she was married at the time. <gasps> I know. And, um, so then she abruptly, um, divorced her first husband who was in... Irish silent film star, I think. Okay. And I think they had an abusive relationship. It didn't oh. sound very good. And then, like, a few days after, she married Douglas Fairbanks. Was he good to her? I think so. Good. And, like, they, they were worried that they'd have a negative reaction when they first told the public about it, but they were actually, like, it was received very well because they both sort of got the romantic fantasy kind yeah. of thing and then they were together and they were like sort of seen as the king and queen of Hollywood yeah it's um, like the it couple the, the, yeah. yeah like the Bradgelina of the 20s I mean Bradgelina ended so right. these ended too oh okay spoiler <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah because they went on a honeymoon in Europe and they were um, crowds everywhere when they went so they were met by everybody in yeah. Europe? yeah so wow. pretty famous yeah. and then they had the famous estate which was Pickfair so both of their names put oh together um, which is where Helen Keller comes in because she visited Pickfair oh okay yeah as well as like Einstein Charlie Chaplin, H.G. Wells, Amelia Earhart, Fitzgerald. Oh my gosh. Arthur Conan Doyle. Got like, a lot of famous people. Visited, like, to go see them. Yeah, they had big dinner parties. Ooh, very fancy. I know. Um, yeah, and they were seen as, like, Hollywood royalty, which mm-hmm. I already said. But um, so then, like, foreign heads of states came to visit the White House. They'd also come and ask to go to Pickfair, too. <laughs> What? I know. It's crazy. I see, was it was it was it in the north or It was in uh, LA, I think. So <laughs> they go to the White House, yeah. which is I think it's the other east side, coast. It? Yeah. What? Yeah. And then they travel to Oh my god. I know. Well done to them. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. No. Um but then the arrival of sound was considered her undoing, so... Why, did she sound really bad? Well, it's because I always find a problem with when sound come around because they just completely got rid of silent cinema. Oh. Because, like, I think it gets such underappreciated because, like, it's kind of like ballet in which it's a performance. Yeah. You don't need the words, there are words, but... And it's much more universal. Thing. Yes, yeah, I suppose when they, they put sound in it meant that all of a sudden, like, they, they, they're massive in Europe, if you know what I mean, I suppose, that they'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, well, it's not in yeah. our language. Which is sad. Yeah. Um, but they, she said, she claimed when sound came about that adding sound to movies would be like putting lipstick on the Venus de Milo, Ooh. which is yeah, but, famous oh. statue. Yeah, <laughs> she was against it. Against it, yeah. Um, there was 
So um, a lot of the silent film actors sort of panicked a bit when talkies came about. Mm-hmm. So what, a, a talkies talking film. Sound film. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there was the Dodge Brothers Hour, which is a radio show, mm-hmm. and a group of them, which included her Fairbanks Chaplin, some other famous people, D.W. Griffith and stuff. And they spoke on the radio to prove that they could meet the challenge of talking movies. <laughs> so that they can still what? make silent films against Okay. This. So they but went onto the radio to tell to say that like we're still gonna make silent films. I think, but now I read it I might have interpreted it wrong. Like maybe because it says it could meet the challenge of talking movies. So I was I just wanted to challenge talking movies maybe. with silent film. I mean, Charlie Chaplin still made silent films up until 1936. I mean, I can only think of one talking film he ever made. Oh, he made quite a lot. Did he? Yeah. Um, well, not not as many as the, the Tramp, because they were quite far apart. But he did one with, called Limelight with mm-hmm. um, Buster Keaton. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is it's quite fun. Um, so she, she did... Win an Oscar though for one of her performances in the talkies, um, which was a film called Coquette. I have not seen it. Me neither. Um, and this is where she cut her hair. For oh, the role. for the role. What year is that? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Okay. How are the Oscars going? Um, she won the second ever Oscar. <gasps> wow. She was also part of the Academy. She's oh one wow! Of the original founding members, I think. Blimey. Yeah. Um. She. She's also considered by Disney to to play, in Alice in Wonderland live version that they were planning in the thirties. Live Did they action. Ever make it? No, because oh. Paramount released its own version. Oh. So they just scrapped it. Um. But then she retired from acting in nineteen thirty-three. Just. Quite young. Yeah. How old? What, what do you... She was nine... 1892. 92. She's 39. But she had 23 years in cinema. Oh, and in star, like, role yeah. as well. Um, Her last film was in 1930... Well, released in 1934. She did continue to produce for, like, uh, there's one called Sleep My Love. Mm-hmm. And Love Happy, which is with the Marx Brothers. Oh. So... Um, but they think that the public nature of the relationship of, like, uh, her and Fairbanks was, like, what put it under so much strain that they broke up in Um, about 1936. They got divorced, and he died, like, three years after. How much older than her was he? I actually don't know. Fair enough. I say that seems quite young, if they were, like, of similar ages. Let me find out. He was born in 1883, so he's 11 years older. Yeah, yeah fair enough. That's... Mm. So how old was he when he died? He was age 56. Yeah, quite young then. Yeah. Um, she did also oh, um, get... Because she did a lot of work in World War One. in this 
I forgot about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> that minor thing that happened, you know, yeah, the first one. Just war. nothing. Yeah. Um, she promoted Liberty Bonds. Which, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, as well as Charlie Chaplin, which I do, it's kind of weird because she's Canadian, he's English, and they were trying to fund America's um, part in the war. But, I mean, yeah. Just, I mean, they're all on the same side, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but <laughs> they, the army named two cannons after her and made. What an honour. <laughs> I know. And made her an honorary colonel. I mean, that is, I assume, quite an honour. Yeah. But, I mean, they should let her fight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if she wanted to. Yeah. Um, was national service a thing then? I don't know. I mean, she was Canadian, so... That is true. So she married her last husband in 1937... So a year after, she got. Yeah. She moved on pretty quick. Okay. I mean, good for her. Yeah. Um, they adopted two children. Aww. Yeah, and it was um, Buddy Rogers is the man she married. Yeah. Forgot that bit. Um, <laughs> but then it sort of takes a, a a turn, like she because she became a recluse. Oh. And for any she, like for what reason or just I don't know. Like she just says she remained at her still at Pick Fair. Mm-hmm. Um and only allowing allowing visits from Lillian Gish and Douglas Fairbanks Junior. Oh. And a few other people. Which quite sad. Yeah. She she received an uh, Honorary Academy Award in 1976 mm-hmm. for Lifetime Achievement. Mm-hmm. And she ceased to be a British subject when she became an American citizen. British? She, yeah, because Canada, I'm guessing. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, when she married Douglas Fairbanks, he's American. Mm-hmm. and But she never acquired Canadian citizenship because it came about in 1947. But she she wanted to die as a Canadian, so she request she requested to uh, get dual citizenship, which she got. I mean, it, it would have been weird if she hadn't have been allowed it, considering that she was like born and, and raised there. Yeah. Um, she also became an alcoholic too, I believe. Oh. Yeah, and. Um, like her dad and her, I think her brother and sister also died alcohol related. Oh my gosh! Is that the? Is that all of like all of the kids? Yeah. And then the dad. Yeah, I'm not sure if the mother did as well, but they all because I think it was all around the same time as talkies were becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. So she got quite depressed at that time. Yeah. Um, and. But that was yeah. is that round prohibition as well. Yeah, probably. And then she died on May 29, 1979, of complications from a cerebral hemorrhage she'd suffered the week before. Aww. That's quite a sad, like... I know, it's a sad ending. To be so high in the public eye, and then... Mm. Yeah. But she has a lot of things 
named after her. Mm -hmm. Such as? She's got um, a star on the Walk of Fame. Oh, right. I think like, in the solar system, I was like, oh, okay. I do. You do? Yeah. You know where you can like buy a star for someone? Someone bought me one. It's called yeah. the Great Goat's Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, what? Like, can you see it in the sky? Do you know where it is? I don't think so. To be honest, right. I think it's kind of just, like, they say you buy a star, but you don't actually... Do you think, like, loads of people have the same star? Well, they just say, you have a star, but they don't give it a name Do or, it. like, a place. It would be really funny if, like, something like that star did something that was really significant, and then it has to be <laughs> in, the, in the papers as, the great Goatsby has recently done this. <laughs> yes. I know, I, I hope. <laughs> um, Please be an asteroid. <laughs> the, she's in a lot, a lot of play, more stars, in more walks of fame, yeah. and there's some theatres and stuff named after her. Also has a cocktail named after her. Ooh. Which... What goes in the cocktail? It's a prohibition made with rum, fresh pineapple juice... Grenadine and ma- maraschino liquor. That sounds quite nice, actually. Mm. It looks nice as well on the picture. Yes. So if I was to go into a, a, a like a bar and order that, do you reckon it actually I serve it to me? Doubt it. But you never know. I think I should test it. We can test it. Then, <laughs> then, yeah, that's Mary Pickford. Wow. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that so? Wrap it up. I think so. Is there anything else you want to say? Uh, no. No? Just any thank you for listening, I guess. Yes. And if you want to contact us, we have an email, um, hermomentinhistory at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Feel free to contact us with any corrections or questions, anything. Or just general. Say hi. Say hi, yeah. <laughs> and you can follow us on Instagram. Yes. Too. Which is also hermomentinhistory. Yep. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.